0: But with that, uh, we're going to be again back in Genesis this morning. And it's 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 such a privilege and honor to be here with you guys that that you would uh, spend time in the Word together and put up with me. So know that uh, I don't take it for granted. It means a lot. Uh, But this morning, we're actually skipping ahead a little bit. If we only have four times together, if if we were to stay another year, I'd probably continue. At this pace, it'll take us another year. It's taken a year to get this far, halfway through Genesis, I think it's not to finish it, at least. Uh, but we're going to skip ahead a little bit today, and uh, probably in the next couple weeks as well. Um, I figured that, uh, I was thinking about it, I think the Lord really showed me something last night, and that's why I went through it, but uh, no really need to spend time with Lot this morning and what he does next, you can read that for yourself if you're familiar with it, and then the next chapter, something else, Abraham begins to repeat himself again, But we're going to be a little bit in Genesis chapter 21, uh, the first eight eight verses. And then we're going to skip ahead to Genesis 22, the first 19 verses. Uh, But the title of today's message is God Tested Abraham. God Tested Abraham. If you have the King James says tempted, and we know that God does not tempt any man. I think that that's just part of the older translation there. Um, But really, that's what temptation is. Temptation is a test. And really, when we're tested, temptation is what leads us away to sin when we decide to fail that test or or go through that test in our own strength but a little bit simpler than abraham's test i think what have you and i been tested for in life remember being in school as a kid and that dreaded pop quiz would come up and you hadn't been paying attention and you had plenty of doodles but not enough notes and the quiz came up and some teachers were merciful and they would kind of lead you in the questions to what the answer was Uh, but not always or if you remember getting a driver's license i think we looked in montana and you get your driver's license at like eight years old or something crazy it's like you know it's pretty close right um i remember going for the test in new jersey and failing the first time because i didn't stop long enough or something of that nature uh, but I, I wasn't happy when i failed that test uh, maybe you've been pulled over i hope not maybe they've given you a breathalyzer i'm, I'm sure that's not a test any of us would have would want to take in our former days, but now it's like, okay, great. We don't we don't drink, test me all you want. All you're gonna get is bad breath. But <laughs> if I can go to jail for that, I probably would. Uh, for bad breath. But work, you know, maybe when you hand it in your resume, then begin to test you about, do you really know what's on here? Um, I remember when we hired one guy at work, they gave him this test that was like for programming and it was like the hardest thing ever. Like we all looked at it we're like, we all would have failed this. <laughs> Let's not do this one again. But we have this thing now where it's freelance to hire, where obviously someone comes in and they show us some work and they have some skills, but we want to see are those skills for real and uh, do you really gel with the team? So there's kind of a, a, a test before the actual hire. But maybe you've gone through a test or a trying time. Uh, some family was over yesterday for a good time and they shared some things they went through. And uh, it's just, man, that, was, that seems like a trying time. But maybe you've gone through that with family or in a relationship or even a health issue. And if you've made it through that time, I'm sure the relationship is deeper and stronger. But maybe the relationship didn't hold up through the test. Maybe, you know, I heard yesterday, uh, I was working on the car and had the bridge radio on on my phone on. And I was just talking about 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's the rate now. And twenty uh, percent of that site Facebook. I don't know how old this message was. You know that that was the reason because they found some old relationship on there and they wanted to go back and um, said that the second marriage is related sixty or seventy percent divorce rate. Of course, if you gave up on the first one, why? Why not? Um, but man, that's not the way it should be. You know that it, it happens when these relationships are tested that they fail because we don't go through the test. We don't go through the trial. Um, and sometimes, obviously, there, there is a reason to get out. But these tests are something that could shake your faith in life as a believer. You know, I think uh, before we come to the Lord, God allows these tests and these trials that we might come to him, that we might be tested and see that we come up lacking, that we come up, um, you know, uh, cracked like those nuts that. <laughs> You know, we just need someone else to pick us up and put us together. But when God tests us, I don't believe it's to shake our faith to the sense that we would lose it, but that we might see how deep it is and that we might see that we might need deeper roots and firmer branches. I don't believe that when God tests us, he does it to twist our arm and make us say uncle. You know, Jacob in the Bible wrestle with God and God puts his hip out of joint. So that was Jacob's fault in that. But I think when God tests us, it's not for that, but to plant us, to root us and ground us in the faith he has given us even more, that that faith would become real faith, not the nominal faith that we talked about in devotional, but a real faith, a tried faith, a true faith. And really, the test is, is not to reveal our power, but it's to reveal his power. That we might say, Lord, when we see the Lord. Not out of compulsion like saying uncle, but out of belief when we say Jesus. Ephesians three thirteen through 21 says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, Paul says, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And James 1, 2 through 2-4, we know this. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let that patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And a lot of times we're tested with a lack in our life, or a perceived lack. But God allows us to go through that to see that, man, the lack is not this thing that we have externally, but it's an internal lack that, man, our faith needs to be built up. Because when our faith is built up, we realize that, man, we don't lack anything. Paul says, I went through shipwreck. I went through beatings. I went through all these things, perils, famines, robbers. And his his faith was still there. He said, I don't lack anything. You know, we might go, I got robbed. I'm lacking. Call the insurance company. Not Paul. Paul says, yes. Yes. I'm counted faithful. I'm counted faithful. And God, would that be us? God, we could be counted faithful in our faith towards you. God, by your spirit. Not by our strength, but by yours, God. And as uh, God, you uh, have the word with us this morning. God, would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us and would you strengthen us, God, as I know that we're all going to go through trials. If we're not in one, we're going to be in one. And if we're not in one, we just need to look a little closer and there's probably one that we're in. And God, I pray that you would just minister to each of us in them. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 21, and we'll read the first eight verses together. It says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son which was born to him, of whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. (coughs) me. Verse 7 She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And you know, if we had more time together, I think this would be a fantastic area of scripture, obviously, to to look at and see how God had filled these things to Sarah. Uh, But the focus today is really on Isaac and Abraham. Um, But man, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. God told her he would visit. And guess what? He visited. <laughs> Sometimes we think that that's kind of amazing. And yet the Bible says, well, as he had said, as he had spoken. And when the Lord says, when the Lord speaks, he's going to do. In Psalm 110.4 it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. But when the Lord says something, he's not going to turn back from it. When God says he will do it, he will do it. And he will stop at nothing To bring that word to pass. The cross didn't stop him. If you have a bad boss, your bad boss can't stop him. If you have a financial need, that can't stop him. If you have something greater than that, nothing can stop him. Neither height nor depth can stop him. But the only thing that can be stopped, in a sense, I believe, is our receiving of that good end to his word. But you know what? Sarah received. Even though she laughed, she received. She kind of had to laugh. Kind of had to laugh to get it out. And when the laughter came out, it was replaced with faith. I think sometimes that's what we need to do in our lives. We need to laugh. We need to get out our doubts before God. We have faith or we have a lack of faith because we haven't yet given to God our doubts. We haven't yet really confessed to God that, God, I'm struggling. I need you to know that I'm having a hard time believing that this is going to happen or that it can happen. And I'm going through this hard thing right now. You know, I think sometimes we're ashamed to go to God with that. God wants you to come to Him with that. He wants to know what's on your heart and mind because He wants to take it from you. He doesn't want that to burden you. He doesn't want you to hold on to it. You know, we tend to hold on to things. I hold on to things. And uh, it's not always good. It's not always good. But it says that Sarah received and she conceived at the time that God told him. You know, it was at the right time. God said she's going to conceive and it's going to be the time that God told him and not a minute later and not a minute sooner. It was going to be when God had foretold, and we looked at that a few weeks ago. But it says here, the son whom Sarah bore to him, again, that there was this further emphasis that was on Isaac and not on Ishmael. Like, not to get this confused at all, this isn't Ishmael, you know, pretending this is a whole new son, and it was through Sarah. You know, that this was the son of the promise and not the son of the flesh. Now, no matter what else they did, that son, in a sense, it count, he would count it to Abraham. He was his son. It mattered to him but it wasn't the son of the promise. It didn't matter to God's promise what else had gone on. The son would only be the son of the promise that could fulfill the promise. I think that's obvious, but I think sometimes we think we can conjure up our own little way to fulfill God's promise. Say, hey, God's promise. You know, you know it. You know it's kind of fake or fraudulent. You kind of try and pass it off. Um, you know that talk about, what was it? Um, was it hypocrisy? Or was it... Uh, in the roman times when they would build a statue or an idol and they would put like the fake nose the wax on there you know that uh, it would look like it was all together but it wasn't And put it out in the sun it would melt i think it's the same sort of thing sometimes we put things together to try and make god's promise come to true but as soon as we put it through a trial through a test it begins to melt on us and so we realize oh man i had my faith in the wrong thing but god wouldn't have us do that god would just have us Wait for him to fulfill. And he says that he circumcised them on the eighth day. You know, eighth day being a new beginning, a resurrection, a regeneration, but also the eighth day of the blood being able to clot for uh, a boy. Um, but he did this command. He said, I'm going to circumcise them. Everyone in my household, I'm going to keep doing this. But he says he did it as God commanded. That Abraham's motive here was... Hey, mama, come on in. Abraham's, uh, Abraham's motive here was to do as God commanded i think we begin to see a real change in abraham's motives by this point if we read the previous chapter he begins to do things he kind of slips back into abraham's old ways and you go is this the same story as with pharaoh just they named him abimelech in this one because it's like the same exact story if you look back and look at it um but it says he did it as god commanded his motives were now to obey god and do as god commanded not as abraham thought not as sarah wanted as we remember not as his customs had taught him from the land of the Chaldees, but to do exactly as God commanded when God commanded it. On the eighth day. Not the seventh day, not the fourteenth day, not the second day. Do this as God commanded when he and when He commanded it. And then that took a while. Like we said, like even in the last chapter, we see Abraham kind of slipping back a little again. But we see Abraham wanting to do things the way God prescribes him. And I think that that is really... The start of true faith is when we put our faith in God as God says it, as God commands it, that's the way we want to do it. When we come to the church, we look in Acts. We see Acts 2.42. As God said, as God commanded, that's how we want to do it. We don't want to come with the tradition of men. We don't want to come with our preconceived notions. We want to come and do it the way God commanded it. And if it's not the way God commanded it, when God commanded it, we don't want it. That's faith. You know, Martin Luther had that faith, right? He was in the church, and he said, wait a minute. This is not how God commanded it. This is not how we should do it. And he put that notice on the door of the church. Like God told Jeremiah, go stand in front of the temple, and everyone who comes in says, hear the word of the Lord. Not from inside, not from the pulpit, but from the front door before they even get a chance to get in there. And Abraham, he's now heard the promise. He's now actually received the promise. He's got a little bundle of promise in his hands. When the bundle cries, he probably gives it right over to Sarah. (laughs) But he's a changed man. And that's what's really going to change us, guys, is receiving God's promise. But let us not wait until the promise is fulfilled for it to change us. A lot of times we wait like Thomas until the promise is in our hands. We can touch it. We can feel it. We can see it for it to truly change us, for it to truly change our motives. But man, let it be when God gives us the promise that that's when it changes us. That when God speaks to us the promise, that we allow that to begin to change our faith. When God speaks to us something that it begins the root, begins to go down deep, begins to start under the surface before it bears fruit on the surface, because that's where real and lasting fruit is going to come from, from a deep and grounded tree by the rivers of water that it's not going to be swayed by tests or trials, or even a word from God, as we'll see today, that seems possibly contradictory to the promise. Because we remember in Hebrews 11:1, what is faith? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not faith, guys, if we see it, it's fact. But we can have faith in facts that we haven't yet seen. Because if we have God's promise, it says good as having it fulfilled in our hands. Why? Because as the Lord said, as the Lord spoke, he did. And if God says it, he's going to do it. So if God says it to us, it says good as gold. It says good as done. But it says here that he called his name Isaac. And we know Isaac means laughter. The word Isaac is, you know, I'm not going to butcher it, but Yitzhak. And the word laughter is Sachak. Or Satchak, you know, it's like Isaac with a different beginning. But essentially this word laughter could also mean laughing stock. Like this word could also mean that you're laughing stock. And Sarah said that God had made her laugh, that she laughed when God said that. But I think also in a way, I mean, I'm not saying that she naturally meant this, but I think if we looked at that word, you could say it also made her a laughing stock. If she didn't believe God and then she had a baby, whoa, uh-oh, <laughs> I guess I'm the laughing stock now, you know, man. Uh, she laughed in the tent when but when we don't believe God Who really becomes the laughing stock? Is it God? I think sometimes we try not to believe God because oh God is oh God You old, you're doing your God thing again. You're promising and oh, I don't believe you, you know In a sense we're trying to make him a laughing stock, but God will not be made a laughing stock In fact, the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So who's the fool? You or God When you don't believe in God, you're saying it's foolish to believe in God, but you're really the fool, not God. The Bible also says that God will laugh at the wicked because they've chosen wickedness. And what did they expect? (laughs) What did you expect? But not Sarah. She laughed and she believed. And she says something wonderful here. She says, who would have said a year ago, 10 years ago, who would have said that I would nurse a baby that I would give Abraham a child in his old age. I'm glad she doesn't say she's old. She says that Abraham's old. <laughs> He's the old guy, not me. But I would give him a, in his old age. But it says, it's something unbelievable, fantastic, or amazing that no one would have guessed or predicted other than God. And that's where real faith comes in, is when no one else will say it can happen, but God says it'll happen. That the odds don't line up, the finances aren't there, the doctor's report says something negative, but God says something else to you in your prayer time. Man, that's where faith begins. Abraham was 100 years old here. You know, it's been a year since chapter 17 when Abraham fell on his face before the Lord, before the Lord visited them. Um, man, that's old. I was talking to my friends the other day about, you know, being a th- being, me being in my 30s having kids and I love it, but man, I can see why being in your 20s would be super beneficial. You know, you have so much more energy. They say they weaned, they weaned Isaac, and they they had a party for him. You know, uh, the commentary from David Guzik says some ancients say children were not weaned until twelve years of age. I think we can kind of think of Bar Mitzvah, or Bar Mitzvah, as sort of a weaning from childhood into adulthood. Uh, but uh, some say five years. You know, some people they like, they naturally feed their kids until they're like five or six years old, and like, God bless you, but <laughs> uh, you know, I was just like, we're done here at a year and a half. You know, there's a the point when it's like they can look up and talk to you. It's probably time to be done. <laughs> but the most reliable research indicates that he might have been around three years old. We think also of Samuel. When he was a little boy, when Hannah prayed and God gave her Samuel, that she took him home and when he was weaned, she brought him to the temple, you know, because what, what is what is the prophet going to do? <laughs> you know, he can't do anything for him. He doesn't have any formula. But they had this great feast. You know, he had made it also... Think about this in the old days, like even now with uh, SIDS and these other things, when babies in third world countries don't make it that long. Um, but man, when he's weaned, he made it. A little boy, he's made it out of that dangerous time of being a toddler. Um, you know, I think for all of us with sons, you go, man, when he's 80, he made it. He made it out of that dangerous time of being a boy. <laughs> but he had made it. It was a great feast. He was the son of the promise. The promise was fulfilled. Why not have a party? Why not laugh and rejoice at having this little promise uh, run around? Let's uh, move on to Genesis chapter 22. And uh, we're going to take this in little bite-sized chunks uh, through verse 19, I believe it is. Uh, Yeah, so Genesis 22, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now it came to pass after these things, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here, am I, here I am. Then God said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It says that it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. You know, testing is going to come. It always will. You know, there's never a time in life, in this life, when there won't be a test. I think God's finally starting to bring me to that point of realization that, man, life will never be easy. I always get, man, why can't my life be easy? You know, it starts to be easy for a little while, and then something hard happens. I'm like, why is this happening again? And I think I'm finally starting to realize, well... It's going to keep happening. Rejoice. Like James says, rejoice in it. Because it's going to keep happening. There's nothing you can do about it. So the most you can do is prepare and study for that test because you know it's going to come. And how do we do that? By listening for God. By spending time with him and knowing what his word says. It says that most Jewish commentators think that Isaac was in his 30s at the time of this event. So it came to pass 30-something years later. You know, they had good times. They ran around. Abraham taught them how to ride a bike, sometimes ride a camel. I don't know. But uh, he taught them how to do those things. They had the childhood. He grew up. He became a man. They were doing life together. And then it came to pass. And that's the sort of thing with tough trials they come to pass. Might be a while, might take a while, might be towards the end of your life. But it's going to come to pass. You know, but who else was in his early thirties when the trial came to pass? Who else stepped out at thirty, and did a ministry for a few years, and it came to pass to be sacrificed? But he says, "Behold, here I am." And Abraham was aware that he was in God's sight and God's vision, nowhere to hide. When God said, "Abraham," Abraham didn't run to hide. God said, "Abraham," said, "Behold, here I am, Lord. Like I know you see me. I know everything in me is exposed before you, Lord." i'm in your vision and i don't need to hide from you god i don't know what you're about to say to me god but i'm here and i think sometimes we try and hide because we don't know what he's about to say to us but abraham was at a point in his life where he was willing to hear what god was going to say to him and he was exposed before the lord and he was aware of that and mia asked me the other night about in the garden of eden well if they were naked in the garden how come that was okay explained to her that well sin wasn't there yet, and so they didn't know they hadn't realized that uh that that sin was going to affect them things were pure things were not tainted you know like that milk in the fridge it's good and all of a sudden one day just I guess the quorum of bacteria reaches a, a tipping point and it's not good anymore it was good it was fine, but then something changed and that's the same thing there and Abraham was was okay being exposed before God and we need to be okay being exposed before God because he sees it all anyway he sees the hurt he sees the anger he sees the bitterness he sees the doubt but he also sees your faith and he doesn't judge you for those things and it's okay to come before him you know when we come to him with sin we come to him not because he's going to judge us but because why he's going to forgive us and I think that we don't want to be the laughing stock before God sometimes, but He will never laugh at you when you come to Him. He will never curse you or condemn you when you come to Him. He's not like us. Not at all. You know, our flesh cannot be used to worship God in fleshly ways. It says your only son. Well, what about Ishmael? Well, Ishmael is not even in this equation at all. He's not even mentioned here. Your only son. Your only son of faith. And a promise. And not that God didn't care for Ishmael. We see that God did and God promised Ishmael things. But when it comes to this picture of Jesus, there's only one son that counted. You know, our devices and our schemes cannot bring glory to God. Because it is only the things made to us through promise, by faith, that can be used for a heavenly purpose. We try and do so many things for heavenly purposes, but God says, I don't know it. That sound didn't make it up here. Sure, people came and listened to that sound. But it was not the sound of heaven. It may look like the sound of heaven. People may say it's the sound of heaven. But if it's not the sound of a promise by faith, it's not the sound of heaven. It says that they went to uh, Moriah, the Mount Moriah, and that's modern-day Jerusalem. I think it's interesting. God is like, man, this whole land is yours, Abraham, past, present, future. It's not yours yet, Physically, but spiritually it is. And I'm going to bring you to the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, where all this is going to happen. And I'm going to do a picture there for you. He doesn't know that, but only God can do things this way. Um, call things as they are before they, before they are. And could it could have been the same place as Jesus. You know, I don't know for sure. Maybe it's something to think about for me to research, but I think maybe it's for you to research too. I think uh, it's been said about faith. You know, we can kind of force our kids into faith and, and make them behave and believe. But it will be that outward faith. Instead, we need to lead them. We do need to force them certain things. But in and, and most things, we need to lead them. That the faith might become theirs by their own investigation, their own will. You know, I was listening to a, a thing about fatherhood and parenting. A message from Alistair Begg, and he was talking about it like not bringing your children to wrath. But part of that is you know, not everything that they do that is not necessarily listening to you is rebellious in nature. And we sometimes want to come down on it as rebellion all the time, but it's not. It's just them trying to find their own way, find the boundaries, and that's healthy. And they need to do that, and that's where the real faith is going to come in, by looking for those boundaries with God. And we need to do that. We need to, not, to be willing to come to God and seek. And, and again, not do sinful things, and, and sometimes it can be rebellious, but really consider with the Lord, are these things things that are them needing to find faith in their own? And we need to do that. But when God speaks to Abraham, he says, take your only son and sacrifice him. Whoa, you know, would you immediately get out of your prayer time if God told you that? When God speaks to you in your prayer time, are you prepared for him to say things that are totally weird in our estimation? That totally go against what we think he might even say to us to do? Or are we just expecting him to say what we expect him to say? Because then I wonder, are we spending time with God in prayer? Are we spending time with ourselves in prayer? You know, David talks about communing with his heart and that's important to do. We need to commune and let our heart be someplace that God can come and dwell and God can come and minister to and listen to the things that he might minister to our hearts. But when he begins to say something strange, something different, something outside of the bounds of our knowledge. You know, God was preparing Abraham for this when he called him to leave the Ur of Chaldees. God was preparing Abraham for him to say something strange to him when he began to step out from his father's house and from his father's land because... If he can begin to accept that, when God brings him something like this, he can accept that as well. I'm not to say that the Bible doesn't say to test the spirits, to make sure they're from God. If you do hear something weird, you know, don't just immediately make it a doctrine and a faith because many have erred that way. But sincerely, God may call you to make a sacrifice. God may call you to let something die or even be a hand in it. But you know what? God is not a God of death. He is a God of life. So even if he does call for that to happen, that dream to die, that promise, that thing that you love to die, know that there's always life in it. That death to God is life. And through death is life. But and we look at the things the prophets were told to do too. A lot of the things that God told the prophets to do, you might go, uh, you know, or God told Peter to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter goes, no way! I'm not doing that, it's dirty. And God goes, Peter, I don't call dirty what I've called clean. But he says, on the mountain, I will show you. God would not give Abraham the final destination. He just said, go that way. Go towards Moriah. Go towards that land. And when you get there, I'm going to show you which mountain to go up on. You know, Abraham would not know the final destination until he made the first steps of obedience. And so often I think we want the final details when we just need to heed the direction that God has told us. We want the specifics. And God just says, go this way. You want, well, God, well, what am I going to do when I get there? Uh, just I'll tell you when you get there. God, where am I going to go to church? What's going to happen to my family? What's just go this way. Just go in faith. I'm going to take care of it for you. And again, we might not know the specifics of the promise, of the tests, of the answers to the questions that were being asked. You know, I, I can't give you all the answers for every scripture that we're looking at today. I can't pretend to know all the answers. I'm giving you what I believe the Lord has shown me. And if you have a question, I'll certainly prayerfully try and seek an answer from the Lord. But I'm not the final answer, and you know that. (laughs) We don't have to be. And so many try and pretend to be the final answer, to have all the answers. We try and have all the answers, but we don't need to. We just need to know the one who has the answers. It says that Abraham rose early in the morning. God spoke to him the day before, the night before, but he got up early in the morning. That Abraham would not delay any longer. You know, God has spoken. What was Abraham to do? Obey it. And Abraham wasn't going to delay to obey it. He was not like beating around the bush like Lot. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Even when it wasn't the thing you want to do. You know, I watched this guy on YouTube and he's got like a, a homestead and he, saw, he realized he had all these things that he'd been like putting off like a year because they're all things that he didn't want to do. He does YouTube and he makes his money off of that. He can do whatever he wants every day. And you realize, man. I need to every day for the next week. I'm going to get up, and the, as soon as I see something that I don't want to do, I'm going to do it. Oh, that wood pile—I haven't wanted to do that in a long time. I'm going to do that. Oh, I need to do this with my son. I need to do that. I'm going to do it, and that's Abraham here. I'm—I'm I'm not saying that he wanted to do it, but in a sense, he did. He wanted to be obedient. And wanting to be obedient should trump everything else. But picture this with me: spend time with the Lord. You've had your son, this promise for 30 years. God tells you to go sacrifice him. You go to bed. Maybe he slept that night. I don't know. But he got up early. He got out of bed early. The sun's maybe kind of peeking behind the mountains. Kind of a cold, cool morning. He was in a desert area. It's cool in the night. It's quiet. It's still. Not even a mouse is stirring. He goes out. He gets the wood. He begins to chop. The sound of the chopping. Echoes goes through his camp in the morning. And he has to get a lot of wood. I mean, Isaac's not a small kid anymore; he's a big kid. He needs a big altar to burn Isaac up. You know, think about how long a campfire burns and how much wood he needs just to cook hot dogs, let alone, you know, a thirty-year-old hot dog. You know, it's a lot. It's a lot of work, and he gets up early to do the work. Maybe Isaac wakes up and hears his dad chopping. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know, but can you picture this? Can you feel maybe what Abraham was feeling? Let's go on to verse 4. It says, Then on the third day, well, they went out and they got, they got on the road to go. Sorry, I kind of stopped short there. But they got on the donkey with the servants, and they set off. And verse 4, Then the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. It says that they journeyed three days that remind you of anything else. But the place was still far off, that they traveled. That's, th- I mean, you know, when we go to Montana, we're looking at it, you know, without, if it was just me huffing and puffing, I could probably get there in 36 hours straight, you know. Um, drink a lot of coffee, whatever. No, I couldn't do that. I would have to stop once or twice. Um, to sleep. Not to mention all the air stops, right? But with kids, it's gonna be a little bit slower. The trailer, it'll be a little bit slower. That's fine. We're gonna try and, you know, enjoy it as much as we can, but we'll probably be in the car four or five days. It's a long time, but it was still, I hope on the fifth day, I don't wake up and go, that's still far ways off. <laughs> but on the third day, they wake up and they see it in the distance, but it's still a far ways off. And Aaron goes, all right, I'm going to leave you guys here. I think part of it, because it was a time between him, the son, and God, part of it was maybe this whole camp that was with them was slowing them down a bit and they needed to just kind of hoof it and go and not bring the whole caravan. But the servants were to stay there, you know. I think sometimes we get to where God wants us to go and it still looks like it's a ways off. And we begin to need to shed other things in our life because we need to get there. And other people might look and say, it's a far off, but we need to go. Abraham knew he was obedient and he knew he had to get there and he knew today was the day he had to get there that nothing would stop him from being there. But he told the servants to stay there. You know, the servants don't get to be a part of the intimacy. Think about the disciples at the cross. Most of them did what? They fled. Except for John and his mom, Jesus' mom. You know, the Israelites, they refused to go up on the mountain, and they weren't allowed to go up the mountain. Moses went up on the mountain. you know. But we're not servants anymore, are we, guys? We're friends. We need to be able to go and, and seek God where He may be found and be able to worship Him where He is and not from a distance. God doesn't want you to worship from a distance just on a Sunday or a Wednesday through someone else's faith. God wants you to come to a place where you worship Him in your faith. It's the sweetest place. But he says, we will go. We will worship. I love that. Abraham knows what it's all about. And we will come back. I don't know if Abraham thought he'd be bringing the body of his son back. We'll come back. I don't know if he was, I don't think he was conniving anymore like he used to be. But I think Abraham believed in faith that, man, even if this is what God is asking me to do, God promised me something. And God's going to make a way. Abraham was prophesying. He knew what he had to do. There was no doubt in his mind that you know why. If God told him to do this, why would God change His mind at some point? So, I know God's going to make a way. But he believed, and that's faith. You know, I think Abraham's come to a deep, deep place with the Lord at this time when he can say this in faith. We're going to go. I've got a knife. I've got wood. I'm not going to tell you exactly what God told me to do, but I know it's worship. That's what obedience is. It's worship, singing to God. Just to sing to Him, it's not worship. Praying, evangelizing, studying on the surface, it's not worship. But when we come to those things and we meet Him where He is in faith, that's where real worship begins. Because Jesus said what? You don't need to be on this mountain or that mountain or this temple. You worship me in what? Spirit and truth. And that's the way we worship Him, guys. Whether you're singing out loud, whether you're sitting down, whether you're kneeling, whether you're crying, whether you're in joy. When it's with Him, it's worship. And that's what God wants. God doesn't care what you look like. If other people care what you look like, well, they're not worshiping. And you need to worship. And they'll come to worship. That's how we lead them. But He says, He laid the wood on Isaac, His son. Again, a picture of the cross. There you go, Isaac, here's the wood. You're carrying it. You're carrying the very thing that you could potentially die on. You don't know it yet, but this is what you're going to die on. You know, wood and the cross are symbolism of humanity in the Bible, the acacia wood. But it says that Isaac had the wood and Abraham has the fire and the knife. He has the fire from God, the actual thing that's going to do the burning, that's going to do the sacrifice, and he also has the knife the implement that's going to cut, that's going to hurt, that's going to, that's going to go to the very heart of the matter and Poor Isaac. He doesn't have a weapon. (laughs) Abraham's got two weapons, fire and a knife. And here he goes, oh, the picture of the father and the son here. It says that they went together. This wasn't Abraham dragging Isaac. Isaac was prepared to go worship God. Isaac was a boy of promise and of faith and a man of faith himself. He was going to worship his God, the God of his father, Abraham. And I can just sense their love here as they walk together, their relationship here. Father, yes, my son, the somber time of walking and of going to worship God. I think about Jacob and I as we talk and we hang out and there's times when it's laughter and it's roughhousing and there's times when it's, I love you, Daddy. There's nothing like it. Nothing on earth like it. it. says, my son, in the comfort there, he says, God will provide himself the lamb for the offering. He knew that if God was calling him to sacrifice, that God would be the one to fulfill the sacrifice. Abraham got it. Like a few chapters ago before when Abraham cuts the, you know, brings out the stuff to sacrifice and he falls asleep and God does the sacrifice for them. It's now rooted in Abraham that when God calls him to make a sacrifice, God's going to be the one to make the sacrifice. Even if it looks like it's Abraham who has to make it, God's going to be the one to do it. You know what? When God calls us to bring us personally to a place of sacrifice in our lives, it's never to sacrifice you for your sin. It's never to force you on an altar it's never to make you suffer it's never to make you and the things you want to die out of some cruel god who desires sacrifice there's human sacrifice uh you look throughout history people sacrifice other people we still do it sacrifice the baby in the womb for whatever dream we have outside the womb but god doesn't do that I think sometimes maybe we sacrifice ourselves. I know I'm hard on myself sometimes. And that's not God's heart. I should be hard and realistic about my sin and come to the Lord with it. But if God is not going to sacrifice me for it, I don't need to sacrifice me for it. Because He's the sacrifice. He's the one who's going to get on the altar. It doesn't need to be me to get on the altar. Although the Bible says that we're to be a living sacrifice, it's for me to come and worship Him. It's not for me to come and punish myself. God never wants to punish you. That's the cross. There may be discipline, don't get me wrong. There may be consequence for sin, but God's going to be the one to put you on that altar. You don't need to whip yourself. You don't need to do some crawling of penitence uh, to get your knees all bloody. You just need to get on your knees and accept the blood that, that He shed for you. Like Abraham said, God's going to do it. God's going to provide the lamb for sacrifice, and He did, right? We may suffer. We may be beaten. Like we talked about with Paul. But it's always for God's glory. Paul wasn't beaten for his sin. He went through it because he knew, man, this is for God. And I would go through so much for God. I'll go through anything for God. And it's, it's just a small thing to be counted worthy of it. And it's easy to say. I think about people who are actually beaten or tortured. Think about some of the met- methods of torture. I go, I don't know. But you know what? That's what God has. And may we be obedient. Even if I don't know how, Abraham says, or don't see see how, he knew he had faith in what God was going to do. And God promised so many things through Isaac. And if God says to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham thought, I perceive that, well, God is a way through it. If God's called me to do this, and I actually have to do it, well, God's got a way to fulfill that promise. He, He brought life through death before Sarah's womb, was nothing but death. There was no life in it. And God brought life in it. And he will do it again through this. Let's go on. Uh, nine, chapter, uh, verse 9, chapter 22. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God. I know, excuse me, that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham uh, lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And we'll stop there for now. said he placed the wood in order. I love that picture that there was even order in the way the wood had had to be placed. And the same thing with the cross. Wood was placed in a specific order to hang a body. And he bound his son and Isaac led him. It doesn't say that Isaac put up a fight. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but Isaac went along with it. Isaac trusted his dad. I don't know if, you know, That innocent faith of kids and their parents. Let it never be abused. But Abraham was in the upswing. Had the knife. Freshly sharp. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Built an altar. Torches burning. Just tied up your son. You laid him on it. God hasn't said anything else to you yet. God still wants me to do this. I love you, Lord. I love you, son. Abraham. Abraham. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. His heart was intent on obeying the Lord no matter the cost. He's going to do this, something crazy, because he wanted to obey God. But God never intended it for it to cost him a thing. Never intended it. The only thing he wanted to do was show Abram where his heart was and know for sure where Abram's heart was. That his heart wasn't an idolatry of his son because, man, he loved his son. And it needed to be, as much as we love our children, as much as we love those in our lives. We need to love God more. Even if it means raising the knife. <laughs> raising whatever it is to that. But he says, Abraham, Abraham. And it says it was the angel of the Lord that said that. Well, who is that? Who is the angel of the Lord? Who is the messenger of the Lord from heaven? Who would say the things that we see here? Not an angel, but Jesus. The one who would be the lamb. It says, Abraham, Abraham. It's okay. It's okay. Think about Samuel. What, is, what, did God, what did God say? Samuel. 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 What did Eli tell Samuel to say? Here I am, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. And when God calls, we should answer, Here I am. When I am, says your name, say, Here I am. Be one with him. He says, I know that you fear God. You know, God knew it, but I think, like all things, we must be tried, we must be tested. We must be proved. God knows. God knows the intent of the heart. God knew what Abraham would do from before the beginning. But I think Abraham needed to say, I think like Job too, there has to be a proof of this faith. This faith has to be tried for it to be real, to be evident. You know, we can say a lot of things, but it's not until, you know, what is it? The proof is in the pudding, so to speak, where this happens. You know, Malachi 3, 2 through 4 says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like the refiner's fire? And like launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. That this offering had to be an offering of righteousness. And it wouldn't be an offering of righteousness unless Abraham gave everything. Jesus with the widow and the two mites. Who is the one who gave an offering of righteousness? The woman who gave everything she had, even though it wasn't worth a fraction of what other people gave. And a lot of people give a lot. A lot of people do a lot. A lot of people say a lot. A lot of people get a lot. A lot of people have a lot. And people account it to them for righteousness. But in God's eyes, it might not be. In God's eyes, the righteous is the one who has never seen. The one who seems to have a little in life. Who seems to have been taking advantage their whole life. And yet, gives their everything. If we don't give it all, we haven't give it, it at all. It's not until we give it all that we've given anything. Because if it costs Jesus his all, how can we not give our all? How can we hold back when God says, Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go sacrifice your all. Because God gave it to him. Abraham wasn't looking for a way out. He wasn't sneakily looking for an animal. He didn't hide a gopher in his back pocket or anything. He didn't look for an excuse or a shortcut. He just waited and he obeyed. I don't know if he lingered a little bit, gave God an extra minute, but I don't know. But the answer was only provided to Abraham when Abraham was willing to answer God with his everything. A lot of times we don't receive an answer because we haven't given God everything yet. It doesn't mean you need to tithe more. Maybe it does. But it means we need to give Him more. Maybe we need to pray more. Maybe we need to seek more. Maybe we need to tell Him more when we do pray. But what do we hold back from Him? Why do we hold back from Him? Why do we hold back from God, guys, and myself included? Why do we hold back anything from Him? Man, I don't know. When you, when you look at it logically, you go, I don't know. When you're in it, your emotion, you know, emotion trumps logic sometimes. And you know, I say, like, people are like head over heels in love. They just do stuff that's dumb. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, hey, we got engaged. Is that okay? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but you know what? God works it out. But why do we hold back from him? He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Read that song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Good song. Fantastic. I don't know. Don't let me sing it for you. But how deep can you sing it? I don't mean your voice, how deep, but how deep in your life can you say God is your provider? Because you can't say it very deeply if you haven't been in a deep place of needing that provision. If we tried to fill up our well with other things, if we tried to fill up that altar with things of our own making, and we haven't let God come through with his ram, how much can we say that he's our provider is it a nominal faith or is it a true faith is it a faith like we saw in revelation or is it just a faith based on what someone said because we know the words again we need to come to that deep place of need in order to say deeply the things of god and we must be tested for him to prove so when we want to come to a place where god meets our need it's always a place of testing Oh, i got to wait. When's that money going to show up? God, i got that bill due tomorrow. Oh, here it is. I didn't have to do what I thought I had to do. You know, our testing is not, again, to prove our ability, but always to reveal God's ability, God's sovereign ability. There there was not a ram over there. A ram shows up. I don't think this ram wandered there. I think God just put him there. But let's go on. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, sorry I lost my place, uh, verse 16, and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess and, and gate of their enemies, and uh, your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice, so Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. You know, it says by rough calculations, you know, they think the, number of, the amount of sand is the same as the amount of stars. I don't know. I haven't seen all the sand. I haven't seen all the stars, but it's interesting to think about. But it says that a second time, the promise was reiterated after and through and during the sacrifice. That through this happened, God reiterates in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And why? Because you have obeyed my voice that God promised, but that promise would not come to pass if Abraham did his own thing. If he never left his hometown, if you never trusted God for the promise, if you never sought God for a son, if you never went up onto this mountain. If Abraham held on to Isaac, who knows what would have happened to their faith. Would he have drifted from God if he obeyed God disobeyed God? Absolutely. We begin to backslide and drift and diso- when we disobey that one thing that God has asked us to do. But behold, you can get right back to that place. God can bring you right back and you can begin to repent and obey, no matter how far you drifted. But Abraham didn't drift here. He he was firm in his faith. And again, the promise can only come through obedience. And obedience would be the catalyst for it to be fulfilled. It would be the fire on the altar. And would have been sweet otherwise, if Abraham had received this inheritance from God, if it didn't come through this way, if it was just the son of his flesh, if it was just you know, no sacrifice involved. I don't think so. Would Abraham have appeared spoiled if this didn't happen in a possible way? If it was just given to him like everything else, like the inheritance from his father, he's just rich because his dad made him rich. No, God called him out. God blessed him. God multiplied him. Would have God have appeared unjust to have put this blessing on a man who is not obedient? God blesses the, us when we're disobedient. He gives grace to us. And that shows his his favor. But man, we look at the real pillars of faith. We see real pillars of obedience. And they're pillars and they're strong because they've been tried and tested and shown that God is just. But it says that they went back and they lived in Beersheba. They moved elsewhere. And I believe that after the promise, after the sacrifice, your dwelling place is never the same. Even if you go back and live in the same old house after getting saved in the same old room, your dwelling place is no longer the same. It's different. When you go into a house of faith, it's different. And through sacrifice, God shows his justice, where the cross. And Abraham shows his faith in the provision of the promise because he has humility and faith. He's willing to go up there in humility and sacrifice his son. And the depth of all their relationships was as deep as death. God brought them all the way down in their hearts to the point of death. And now their faith can flourish through anything. And that's what has to happen in our lives, guys. Our faith will never be true, will never be deep enough until it comes to death at the cross. People say they believe in God, but they haven't yet bowed at the cross. And I believe we all bowed to Jesus at the cross. But that's where our faith begins. And it doesn't end there. It needs to continue there. Everything else needs to come to that point of death and ask for it to be made real. You know, a marriage isn't going to be made real until it dies to every other relationship. It's got to be about God and about that relationship of marriage. It's never going to bear the fruit it needs to bear, uh, bear until it comes to that. Our lives will never be the lives that God intended us for being the lives we even want it to be until we allow ourselves to die. Jesus said what? You'll, you'll receive your life when you lose it. And we can't hang on to it anymore, guys. Jesus is coming back soon and there's going to come a day when we don't have any more chance to lay it down. And thankfully we've all bowed the knee. But man, I think God wants so much more for each of us. I want so much more for each of us. I know God does too but it has to come through that sacrifice. It has to come through laying our lives down. It won't come through a vain thing. It only come through a deep and hard and testing trial. First Corinthians 13, 12-13 As we close, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that's what God showed Abraham there. Now you've got faith. You've got hope that I'm going to come through. But when you find out that I love you, you don't need to sacrifice your son, that's all you need. So God, this morning and well, this afternoon, help us walk out of here full of you. Of the things that you've ministered in your word and worship and communion but stick with us and God, as we go on in life and we're tested, whether it's a little test of a flat tire or a big test of I don't know what, God, help us to go all the way through it because we know that even if we go through death on earth, we'll come out on the other side alive in you because that's what you did. Help us to trust you because you're trustworthy and you say what you do. So bless us, we pray. Bless your people. When God, bring your promise to be. Help us to be obedient even when we don't feel capable because honestly, God, we're not capable of true obedience to you, uh, God, without your spirit. So, Phyllis, we pray. Have your way, we ask in these last days. God, may people see true faith and come to faith in you. Uh, And may we have a hand in that, uh, God, by your grace. Uh, Who's sufficient for these things? None of us are, God, but who you are. We love you, Lord. Uh, We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.